0: Ben, how's it going?
1: Good, mate. Yeah, bloody good. I'm in the middle of a uh, fishing comp at the moment. Started on the 6th, and it goes to the 20th here in Open Aki. Uh And I did a massive 36-hour stint, like, morning, came home for an hour, night, till about 11 p.m., Then back there in the morning, and uh, long story short, didn't come out with a with a comp winner, but we got plenty around that five to seven kilo snappers, Um, plenty other fish, good fishery out here in Openaki, so it's promising, but the weather's supposed to be shite um, for about a week till, well actually, the weekend's looking alright, so probably get out again uh, on the weekend, but yeah, my good, my first real fish out of here, and um, You know, I live on the beach and about 200 metres from my house probably caught 20-odd snapper from 3 kilo to 7 kilo. So can't complain. Pretty happy.
0: That's so good, eh? A 5 to 7 kilo fish, a good fish.
1: Yeah, good fish, but it's sort of funny because any other time of the year I'd just be humming on that. Like, holy heck, I'd I'd be putting the 7 kilo back, taking the 5 kilo home, for the gram and to show the miso and probably bake that one and and I'll be happy with all the rest. Um, But when you're in the comp, you're just like, nah, put that one back, Matt, put that one back, (laughs) and you're putting all these good fish back because you just want the big dog. Um,
0: Yeah, trying to get an absolute thumper.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, but plenty of good fish too, like Trevelli, caught 6 or 7, Albacore, uh, some good sized cod, uh, some John Dory. Like for a guy that wants to go out and get a feed 200 meters offshore, actually, I shouldn't be telling anyone this. <laughs> 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 uh, but you go out and get your feed, and you can get a bit of a small board of um, fish varieties, and, and you're home within, you know, bloody an hour, and there's a reef. It runs right along, so you're not having to. You're just using your sounder and finding, you know, structure change. It probably drops off um, sort of 10 meters off the reef. And uh, hey, look, we were catching these fish in 12 meters of water, so it was uh, pretty crazy. We've seen massive kingies, um, but we just didn't bother trying to chase them because we. The reefs, so 12 meters of water to catch a good kingy is very, very difficult, and that's it's when you need that.
0: Like, that's when you need that big gear, man. We are talking about this yeah. a while back. It's yeah. when you need that big 80-pound Saragossa and, and just hook yeah, 20,000, just hook into them.
1: Yeah, exactly <laughs> that, but we were fishing with light stray line snapper gear, you know, 50-pound braid, and, and, and we just were like... We looked at each other and we're like, haven't got time to re rig all the shit, and the chances of pulling that kingy in 12 meters of water with a reef right there are pretty much zero on that gear. You know, like you say, you need that big rod with the jig on it or or a piece of stray line, you stick know, a piece of. bloody
0: um, good, man. Were, you, were they on the surface? Were they like you were seeing them nah, cruising?
1: No, nah, they were following our fish up.
0: <laughs> yeah, they their stick bait would have been good, or a yeah, jig or a stick bait.
1: Yeah, I was thinking jig or maybe even a stray line, just as it going down. You know, flashing the skin, flashing. You yep. know, just a slab of kawa or something. Yep. Um, but yeah, just didn't didn't bother because it was like we were on a uh, actually we we're on a three meter on my mate's boat three three point eight meter fruza, freezer freezer freeze Um, side console just a hardcore small fishing boat so there was no it was all business and um and no no play i sent you that photo of
0: those guys with the um good marlin and that it it was as a small boat it was like a 3.8 or 3.8 mac yeah
1: yeah
0: well yeah yeah, like a little tin like a tiller drives thing or something. Well, eh?
1: name, basically. Yeah, it's basically an IRB-sized boat, you know, yeah, like yeah. your said, lifesavers, and they caught a dirty good marlin on there. So, but <laughs> hey, we were listening good. to the radio um, on the weekend, and it was going off. I think there was eighteen hookups, yeah, off the cape of of um, Taranaki. So, well, for-
0: I did that podcast with Swains. And yeah. we were talk. He was talking about how he finds Marlon and then we were talking after the podcast too. And he was showing me some stuff on Navionics, and uh, I had a look on Navionics out from where you are, and and it's just textbook exactly what Swings was talking about, like the some of the contour lines and stuff out there. Yeah, just screams Marlin, eh?
1: Yeah, and and yeah, wow. Well, um, it was going off mm. on the weekend, to and say it, the least. I mean,
0: <laughs> if you're catching it went albies, some, if you're catching albies in close, then it's then it's all, you know.
1: Oh yeah, we've seen one workup, dragged um, some lures through it, like um, frilly looking tuna lures or whatever, and just bang, good size albies. You know, like yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely the. the the Albies are there, the male are there. You know, it was it was beautiful warm blue water. It's probably twenty two degrees, Shit, yeah, water, that's, you know, blue water. It's warm. And, hey, we're talking I think we might have been at fifty meters when we were catching the Albies. Yeah. Um good times. Yeah. But, yeah, but. um Yeah. So hopefully I get back out this weekend or Sunday, Monday. Because so, it goes to the twentieth, so i Basically, as soon as the sea's flat, I'm going to go hard again. Yep. But hey, it takes its toll. Like 36 hours pretty much straight, I was absolutely cooked. Like the sun and my hands and my back, and I was a mess <laughs> going to work uh, on Tuesday.
0: Fishing freaking works, yeah. Like, um, uh, even, you know, doing six, you know, five or six hours. On a boat that's moving, and and when you're when the fishing's on, and you're either launching, motoring, or engaged in fishing, and on your feet, and yet yeah, put get that burly out, shit, I'm hooked up over here. Hang on, and you're back and forth, and the whole time the boat's moving, so your whole body's sw- you know switched on, keeping steady the whole time. Yeah, it freaking works, you are. You just you can be hammered.
1: Yeah, not to mention like chop, you know, wind in the arve, you get a bit of a chop and you you know, it's a 25 minute steam home from when you've, and it's just doosh, doosh, doosh and you're squatting into every one of those because you're on a, you're standing because you're on a, like a dinghy. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, same size boat as you, it it takes, like it's, those big boats, you've got to appreciate them because you can just sit there and it's just doosh. And, um, you know, if you if you go on the right speed, you just don't even notice. But those little boats, you feel every ripple.
0: Big time, man. Big <laughs> and your time. legs
1: are, like you say, the stabilizing muscles you're using all day that you don't use um, when you're milking cows or, you know. Even hunting, man.
0: Even hunting, yeah. it's a different thing. Yeah. yeah. And the, the sun and, or, and, yeah, just that rocking boat. Um and and when it's on too and because and, and, I love fishing so I get super engaged in it. So you you're on mentally all day as well and and, and um and yeah, that stabilization thing. Yeah, in a small boat that's just rocking around. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: yeah. Um so anyway, mate, how'd uh, <clears throat> your hunt go down down south? <clears throat>
0: uh yeah, it was bloody good. Saw quite a few deer. um, Didn't pull the trigger. I was. I I wasn't really like I wasn't hell bent on finding a big stag either. But I wasn't going to pull the trigger unless it was something bloody big. Um, It was more just uh, go for a roadie and bloody get get out of town for a while and blow the cobwebs out. You know, haven't really been anywhere for well over a year since since I did a bit of a um, trip away fishing. Christmas before last and then, you know, COVID and I've been, don't get me wrong, I've been doing heaps of fishing and cool missions and stuff but sort of all around home I hadn't really, um, you know, been on a holiday or been anywhere for a while and was feeling a bit bloody, um, a bit cooped up so that was the main thing really, just hit the road, go for a mission, blow the cobwebs out until I felt like coming home and hooking back into work really and um, uh, it was bloody good man, so good. Um, that just cracked the weather, and I and I was sort of playing it by ear. Like I had I had a whole bunch of different missions that I could do, and it was just depending what the weather was doing, what I felt like doing at the time as I got close, and as I got close and I was sort of thinking about it on the way down, I I um, and the weather just looked so good, and I made a couple of phone calls, and I ended up flying into a um, spot high up in the Southern Alps, open tops. Um, Big red stag country, like when it's on, some big stags come have come out of there. sort of the, you know, some of the legendary trophy red stag hunting areas of the Southern Alps. And um, yeah, what did I do? I was up there for four or five nights, um, got dropped off late, did a night in, in camp, sort of getting sorted and just glassing around camp. And then I went um, fly camping for three nights, um, saw a heap of hinds. Um, one beautiful young stag and a few spikers and stuff, but, yeah, just didn't find the big dog, you know. Um, And then I come back out and did a backpack trip um, up a river, about 10 or 12 k's up a river, up to some flats. Again, saw quite a few deer. It was super cool, but, yeah, just didn't see that big dog up there either.
1: Mm. Yeah, and, like, what you just said at the start, like, you hadn't been away for a while, and I know you've been doing a shit ton of fishing and you know overnight hunts and all that around home. But quite seriously, a good trip down south with good weather, and you just get up in those big basins and mountains, and just being there is is um, it's honestly I can't explain it. You've got to go there and sit there as soon as that chopper bug is off, you're sitting there going. Holy hecka, I'm, I'm in like um you know, they made a movie called Avatar about country like that, you know, and that was real buzzy, you know, that was like a uh, a uh, you know, something that's not real. But but we've got in New Zealand we've got something special, it's real. You're there and you can just sit there all day and, and buzz over things, you know? Yeah, totally. And um, like I reckon it's just so good for like I I I grew up there and was brought up in those hills, and I still go down there and buzz out. So it's got to be pretty um it's pretty magnificent eh? It's and it's and it's underrated. Really, you've got to go there and try it, and just and it, like you say, you've come back, you're fresh. You didn't even shoot a stag, and you know, I most some people would be gutted about that. But you were just like, "Wow, I'm I'm ready to take on 2021." You know,
0: dude, big time. To- yeah, totally agree with everything you just said. And and um, it I uh, dude, I tried to because I filmed the whole trip. I'll put together a video at some point. Um, but I I tried to explain it a couple of times because I was having that moment like six or eight times every day. I'd just be like marching along on a bench and I'm thinking, yeah, I wonder what yeah, the what time, what's the time, when's the sun going to be going down? I'm thinking about what face I want to be glassing, where I'm going to camp, you know, all the different things. You're constantly sort of moving and thinking about logistics and where you're going and what you're doing. And you'd be looking at the GPS or something and thinking. And then you just sort of stop and look up while you're thinking and just your line of sight and you just get snapped out of it by what you were looking at. And you're just having these massive, like, holy shit moments about six or eight times a day, just being completely blown away by what you're looking at. And it is, it's, and, and I tried to explain it to the camera. You can't, uh, but there's something, it's like serious going on there, you know? Um, yeah. And, and I think
1: we sort of take it for granted as hunters, you know? Like, yeah. You're sort of always trying to get the cheapest deal on your chopper and the cheapest ferry and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, it's it's, say it's a thousand bucks for all your travel. But where you end up, you know, I'd pay a thousand bucks to just end up there for a picnic lunch and go, hang on, I'm pretty lucky to be alive today and sitting right here. And hang on, this is my home country. This is where I'm, you know, I can come here any time I want for a grand from, you know, Taranaki. So you got to appreciate what we've got here. And, and when you get that weather right on the West Coast, there's no better place. Like I've done a lot of travelling too, and there's no people up there. I mean, that's a thing in the and age. You try to go somewhere and not see a soul. That's, that's you know, that's um, spectacular to look at. Mm. Nowhere. Mm. You're up there and you're not going to see a soul for five or six days. I mm, mean, Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, so, and you're looking at the most spectacular shit in, in the world and, and it cost you a thousand bucks. I mean, you got to sort of take that on board, eh, mm. I and mean, really appreciate it. But, hey, look, I'm not a greenie and, and all that shit, but <laughs> it does help with my mental health um, sitting up there and just buzzing out.
0: Do big time, man, big time. Um, yeah, I've, I've been a little, I've just sort of been, I've got a lot of big projects that I want to hook into, but I've been struggling for real inspiration on starting. Like I've sort of been doing things in drips and drabs, or just just haven't, I've been struggling to get into the mode where I'm actually pumped to hook into it, like a couple of big projects coming up, like the um, bird dog training stuff with Miko, and the deer dog training stuff with her, like it's a big thing to start, and it's a lot of writing, filming, editing. thinking. it's a lot of work, man. Mm. Um, and and I've got to get in the right place mentally so I can do a good job of that. And I was struggling to get there. Um, and then when I did that mission down south, I was, and that's what I said to you. I'm, I've got like I can go down for four weeks if I want but I might get, a I'll probably get a couple of weeks into it and come back and I was about halfway through my second trip, I did that flying trip, that was epic, I was pretty keen to hook into the next trip, did that walk-in trip by about the second night in, that, in there, I was really just starting to think about coming back and hooking into the, the bird dog training stuff with me, kind of getting ideas and where I wanted to start and what I wanted to do. Like it, it, it definitely, um, yeah, it was just the epic reset, man. Exactly what the doctor ordered. eh?
1: Yeah, no, that's cool. Hey, I'm just uh, gonna,
0: I'm just gonna grab a remote real quick and crank this aircon and up in here. It's freaking cooking. Yeah. Went for a, a, a bit of a training walk up a hill here um, just before I sort of stormed in and sat down and set up for this. Um, hey, so our topic today is cleaning guns.
1: Yeah, probably uh, cleaning guns and accuracy and, yeah, cleaning guns and accuracy,
0: I reckon. Uh, yeah, yeah, it sort of starts on cleaning guns. And then and and maintenance and breaking in barrels and that just it links to so many different things and, and opens up so many different topics and even while we're talking about our notes, we we started getting into. Um, I mean, man, we're probably got we're barely going to get through all of this, and we're just opening up a whole bunch of more podcasts off the back of this.
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty key, um, and there's a lot of talk out there about it, uh, especially breaking in barrels. Like, a lot of guys will say, nah, that's bullshit, you don't need to, blah, blah, blah. But for me, I've got a bit of a um, background with, um, you know, building and steel and friction. And I just, um, when, when you've got steel and friction, Shit happens, so um, you, you, you got a little bullet going down a thing that's been machined, and machines aren't perfect, especially little tiny bore like a barrel. Um, there's going to be little jagged bits and, and little imperfections in any barrel. I don't care if it's match. I don't that match is better. Don't get me wrong. Um, there's some bloody good barrels out there, but you could get a match barrel that's got a little imperfection and it just picks up a little bit of copper. I mean that bullet's going down there at, you know, twenty eight hundred to three thousand feet per second and it's it's coming out there molting lava sort of thing. Mm. And it's going down your whole barrel and if it clips a little imperfection every time that builds a copper, little donut copper, you know, piece over that imperfection. And that's obviously going um, gonna to equate to, you know, an inaccuracy point in your barrel. Um, so barrel breaking for me is basically like, um, I like to lap my barrels when they're new, just to get all that factory workings out of there. You know, if there's any sort of filings in there, if there's any sort of little, uh, you know, like I say, imperfections. Just like I do... Um, well, just like I'd expect in my Volkswagen Volkswagen rock with the pistons or, or the, um, you know, any moving part that's going like that all the time, you'd expect that to be as smooth as a baby's bum. You know, you expect them to lap that steel so it doesn't create any f- friction. What, you know, what's it's lapping? lubricated.
0: What's lapping? How do you lap it?
1: Uh, basically, I just use this. I use a JB's um, bore cleaning compound. Um, There's another one called a bore polish, um, KG2 bore polish. Uh, And I basically just put that on a patch. This JB's one's probably as old as the hills um, in terms of how long it's been around um, globally. But I, I just put that on a patch and I just work it down the barrel probably... Twenty to thirty times on a patch, and then I clean it out with um, with a bore solvent, and that's it. That's I start from scratch. That I start my barrel break in from there.
0: So it's basically with, just a good steel polish. You're basically, basically polishing mate, the steel. exactly
1: that, and it's and I just
0: it's almost like a mild cutting compound in it. Yeah, yeah, yep. yep.
1: yeah, and it's but it's you know it's just basically polishing up like you would a knife. You use the coarse side on the stone, and then you do the, sh- and then you do the, the the smoother side on your stone. What's
0: that and then stuff? You stuff Auto solve
1: Is it Auto Yeah. No, that's a bit harsh. Oh yeah. Probably wouldn't use Auto solve but yeah. I, um, I have heard of it done, and I've seen it done, but it, but it's not made for guns. It yeah. is a steel. It is a metal. I've polish. heard of
0: people using it on like like an old gun that's not accurately more yeah. that, or maybe has pitting issues, or something that's really troublesome. But yeah. it, it's it's almost leaning that way, right? Because auto solve, like if you use it on old, bugged um, mag wheels or something, it it sort of it bites into the rust and oxidization, yeah. and it really pulls stuff off. Um, it's
1: so pretty abrasive, and like you just said, it's probably a last resort. Like if you've just got a gun and you've tried everything and it just won't shoot, yeah. I'd probably auto sold the barrel and then start from scratch because it'll be bare as bare as a baby's bum from then. Yeah. And then if it, and then try and get it to shoot. So, but, but those those
0: proper up. bore. Um, yeah. So this
1: JBS is a is a it's a it's a um, bore cleaning compound. Yeah. I mean, it just looks like it's just a little paste. Yeah. Uh, but it's sort of leaning patch. in that
0: direction. Um, and you um,
1: can mix a bit of this on your patch, which is cre- Creole. Croil? K R O
0: I L. Kano. Croil.
1: Yeah. And that is one of the thinnest oils you'll get. So, but anyway, you mix that with that and you just give it a 20 or 30 things. And then I start my barrel break. And the reason I do my barrel break in is so it's, the, it's one shot clean one shot clean for five shots, and then I'll go up to three shots clean, three shots clean, and I'll do that for five three-shot groups. And and this is all while I'm doing my break-in and my load development and all that stuff, but if I just, I basically try and get it so you, if you've got a 20-pack of ammo that you've bought from the shop You'd use that to do your barrel break-in like I just said, so one shot clean, one shot clean.
0: And you're siding in as you do that and stuff.
1: And siding in as you do. And a lot of guys will tell you it's absolute bullshit and there's no need, Mm. but I have actually experienced um, where it's not bullshit and it has... uh, I've actually shot a gun without a barrel break-in and it was playing up a little bit and it was copper fouling quite hard. Because I've got a bore scope, Um, and I stripped it right back with the JB's, and I used um, the KG bore polish, and I stripped all the copper that I just put through it out, and started from scratch, and then I went so and I basically went the did the bore and it shot a lot better after my 20 rounds of barrel breaking, and it was it was pretty. It was the difference in about half an MOA, yep. which is quite doesn't sound like a lot, but when it's half an MOA better, yep. just from doing that break-in,
0: dude. It makes a lot of sense, and you, 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 it's either going to have a positive effect or it's going to do nothing. And and what's exactly. like that, and exactly. when you look at how long you've got a gun and how important it is and all of that if yeah. you can get off on the do something a little bit extra you're firing those rounds anyway um, for me with a brand new gun I'd want to put at least 20 odd rounds through it you know you can sometimes you can side in faster than that but by the time you side in do your load development um, uh, verify everything at your different ranges and all that sort of stuff you're going to I'm going to put through more than 20 rounds through a brand new rifle um, one thing I can say about breaking in, and probably jumping ahead a little bit here, but breaking in and proper cleaning, and and sort of p- what some could call pedantic cleaning of a rifle, basically almost pulling a pull through through it every single day that I, you know, just doing that old school. Every time you get back to camp at night, when you've carried your rifle for the day, pulling a pull through through it, um, and every few, every good few shots. Um, giving it a proper clean and all that, basically doing it properly, um, what was my, uh, I think it was my first Tika 308, I broke it in, I mucked around and fired a shot, cleaned it, did that a few times, did exactly what you just said, then three at a time, clean it again, did a bit of a break in process, um, and just looked after it like crazy, Um, every time I hunted with it or fired a shot, I'd clean it, And then before I'd go hunting again, I'd I'd pull a dry rag through it so I wasn't shooting over too much oil and that sort of thing. And that thing was a fricking tack driver and it just shot everything really well. And then years later, um, I was hanging around some guys and that were like, ah, you don't need to do this and you don't need to do that and they were sort of too cool for school and and almost thought it was cool not to clean their rifle. Um, And I started slackening off with that gun and... um, it didn't shoot as well, man. It didn't shoot as well, and I couldn't get it back.
1: Yeah. So, um, I will tell everyone that wants that asks me to break their barrel in like that. And there's there's a few things that happen when you're doing that. One, you're getting used to your new gun. You're getting used to the recoil. You're not, you're getting used to the trigger. You're getting used to the feel of how that gun operates. Mm. And it's just one shot, and you're not worried about accuracy. Bang. And then then you're getting into your cleaning routine also, especially if you're new to cleaning and shooting and working at how it all happens. And so it's pretty good for you and your gun, (laughs) you know? You're getting into good habits. And so so I do the barrel breaking, and I'll I'll probably touch on the cleaning thing also. So Mm -hmm. when I say cleaning, I mean... There's a few things what, what we're trying to clean here. So we're trying to clean out carbon, which comes out of your, which is created when you fire a, 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 you know, a cartridge in your, in your gun. It'll spit down your barrel heaps of carbon. Um, copper from the bullet, so copper fouling, you might hear people talk about. Um, and then there's powder residue um, or unburnt powder in your, in your thing. So powder will look black on a, on a patch, Copper will look blue, and uh, carbon will be a browny, almost a rusty sort of colour. Um, so what I've learned with comp shooting and that is um, a lot of comp shooters will leave copper in there until it starts affecting, uh, you know, accuracy, because it, it can actually help, you know, a bit of copper fouling actually can... Can be really good for accuracy, you know. Well, when um, you some when barrels you... like being lined with copper in the in the lands, and yeah. they just shoot hundred hundred odd, two hundred bullets. It matches in there, and it won't. It, you don't get you know your ES is quite good and and the same. You know you don't get any um, variables yeah. until it goes pear shaped, and you've got too much. Yeah, and it builds in up too much. In pressure in- signs.
0: Because often, um, like we found when, when we were shooting my REM mag the other day, um, my first shot was about two inches low, and then my second two were bang on. But I'd given my gun a good clean, I'd put a solvent down and all of that. So that first foul is, is off and off a little bit, yep. eh? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, quite often uh, in a lot of guns, unless you've got a big, heavy... Um, you know, um, competition barrel, like a palmer barrel or something. But quite often a sporting rifle or a hunting rifle will have a fouling shot that's not, you know, where your um, point of impact is, you know, sighted in for. So, so so this is what I'm getting at here. So carbon is, I find, is, I reckon carbon's a must to clean out. Uh, but you want to get rid of the carbon, because carbon actually will... Um, Absorb moisture, which is what creates pitting in your barrel. That's the killer. You don't want anything absorbing moisture inside your barrel. So leaving it in a gun case is a great recipe for um, you know, getting moisture inside your barrel bore. Um, so don't leave your gun line in a gun case or store it in a gun case. Um, I don't recommend that. Uh, but, yeah, carbon's your killer, I think. So Um, how do you get
0: so so you can? Does a normal specific
1: carbon cleaner
0: just so you can get a a yeah? So it's just a carbon cleaner and it'll leave the copper in there and just take the carbon out.
1: Copper's really really stubborn, so it'll take a fair bit to get copper out. If you if you're not barrels get better and better. So when you first when you got a brand new barrel and you're breaking it in. A lot of barrels, not all barrels, they're all different, but a lot of barrels will foul up with copper real bad. You can see it. You can look down the muzzle or look at the end of the muzzle in the light and you'll see copper in on your lands. Mm. But they do get better with time, most barrels, some won't, but so copper and copper's stubborn to get off, man. You've got to have a like a good solvent or you've got to scrub it out. They're the two ways you get it out, you know. You you can't just put oil down there. And a few patches, and think she's clean, because oil um, won't get carbon or copper. It'll probably get your your powder residue out. Yeah, and you'll see that on your patch; it'll just be black.
0: My theory. What about like um, instead of using a carbon remover, but if you use a like um, a light oil like that, Croil. And you know, like say, so say we've you know, I, I give given my red. The oil oil's
1: actually um, petroleum based, so it will chew into a few things if oh, you leave yeah. it in there. It's a it's a bit of a an active ingredient.
0: Yeah,
1: it's not just an oil. Yeah, like you smell it, it smells like petrol sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, But quite a strong smell. Uh, well, what about
0: something like um, just a normal mild gun oil? And so, say I've given my REM mag that good clean clean out with solvent, got all the carbon and copper out of there, first shot was a fouler, it was a bit off, and then we fired a few shots, it shot some good groups, sweet, I'm away, I'm hunting. And then while I'm out on my hunt, it's like, man, my board would be pretty damp right now. If I just pull a rag through it, uh, yeah, yep. With, with a little bit of oil, it's going to pull that loose burnt, unburnt gunpowder and stuff out and it's going to put a very fine film of oil down the barrel and I either want to use something very, very light like a croil or a very light gun oil and or pull a dry rag through it. But if the last thing that's gone down is an oily rag, then a dry rag, then anything that's going to absorb... Uh, moisture, water has probably got a super fine layer of oil on it. So my barrel's pretty, prote- I feel like my barrel's a lot more protected like
1: that. 100%. And that's what I can shoot that's over what it? I do. That's what I do when I'm hunting. I've got to pull through and it's soaked in um, krill oil. And I just pull that through at night because. Soaked in
0: croil, not cr- yeah, krill oil. Cr- oil. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I. I just pull that through every night. You've seen me. We've been on hunts and huts, and, and I'm pretty pedantic with my guns. Yes,
0: yeah, I remember that, yeah.
1: Just like, just, I'll say it right now. You can be over clean with your gun, but you can't take back once it's rusted and pitted. Yeah. It's done. Like, it's, it's not done. It'll still shoot for a period, but it's got pitting and rust in that barrel. and that's, that you, what take my, that back.
0: that's what happened to my 308.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So you're better <laughs> off to be the guy on the hut and everyone will be going, oh, what are you up to, you, you dickhead? You don't need to do that. And you're, you're going, hey, look, mate, peace of mind. I'm just going to whip a thing down there and then I know... Any moisture from the bush today, or any crap, because you, you can get crap down there in your barrel without knowing too. Like a little beach leaf, or um, and like you say, you fire, you shot a deer that day. You look down your barrel after one shot, and there's there's shit in there. You well, know, it's there's, full of there's, loose
0: stuff. It's like full it
1: of um, unburnt powder and just crap. So yeah, that is a great habit to get into, especially when you've got a chrome molly barrel. But Don't take that as clean and then Mm. get home and just have it in the safe because Mm. eventually that oil, your barrel's still full of copper, it's still full of carbon, and eventually that carbon will absorb moisture. And even in safes, you know, unless you've got a perfectly humidified room, (laughs) your safe's going to be damp inside. It's going to heats up, cools down, heats up, and what does Mm. that create? Moisture, so uh, yeah, you don't you that don't take that as clean. So you've got to have a cleaning process. Um,
0: I always um like if I some, like sometimes I'll get back from a hunt and you know it's late or whatever you're sorting out all your gear and my gun, and and I will have pulled a a, a um, pull through through or whatever. Um. But then, as soon as a few days have gone by, and my guns, my gun sitting in the safe with the dry bore, um, I've got this little plastic. It's like a, you know, a lead sleeve that you shoot off. Um, it's like a cheap plastic version of that. It's basically a little stand, telescopic stand thing. It sort of sl- folds a bit smaller so it can fit on a shelf, and then you slide it out to sit the gun yeah. in. Gun bloody, voice, yeah. yeah basically a gun vice thing but it's cheap bloody thing but it's super yeah. handy throw the gun in that um i've been using croil a lot but i might actually i think croil definitely has its place it's great stuff um but it's quite light i've got like it's just like a cheap remington super heavy quite uh yeah. heavy gun oil um yeah. a rag soaked with that pull it through and and I, I make sure I so I get it all around the um, the crown and the lands and my whole ball is soaked with a good heavy oil that's going to cling to it. If my rifle's sitting in the safe for any amount of time, it's soaked in oil. And then before I shoot with it, I've got to pull a good couple of dry rags through it. You know.
1: Yeah, just on that, you don't want oils. If you're sitting your gun butt down, you don't want oil dripping down and into your trigger. Oh yeah. Because it will cock your trigger up. If you get too much oil in your trigger, it'll malfunction. Okay. Um, It's not a good thing. Triggers don't like heaps of oil because they've got little parts. So just either put all the oil in there and then stuff a a little patch in your bore uh, in your chamber so it'll catch any oil that wants to drip down, and also oil dripped over a wooden stock will soak in and, and it'll, it'll come up black, It's just it'll cock your wooden stock up, so just a tip there and just on the one with the pudding, pulling the pull through in a hut soaked in oil or, or just any time and then going hunting you've got to be really careful with how much oil's in your chamber mm. because that'll create a massive pressure spike if you've got a, an oily chamber which is the bit where you, uh, basically your chambers where, you, where your bullet um, casing sits before it goes into the barrel into the lens uh, before the bullet goes into the lens, it holds it in the chamber and then your bullet's the only thing that goes into the lands. But if you've got oil in there, it'll create a pressure spike and you get a, you can sometimes pop a primer or you'll definitely get a flattened primer or you'll be like, bang, and it'll just really thump you, and you'll be like, Jesus, that was pretty gnarly, and sometimes smoke will come out the end because you've got oil in your barrel too. Yeah. Pretty dangerous, so...
0: Too much oil in your bores, not too not good when you're not, shooting not either. Not good either,
1: eh? especially a thick one. You'll get away it's with a thin one, it'll sort of lube it up and it's fine, mm. but all these things, if you are taken a long shot with all that oil in there... Not good. So you
0: can actually damage a bore with too what? much, lots of heavy oil, and it will hydraulic. Oh, shit, like
1: yes. and yeah, 100%. And because they make such tight tolerances nowadays, we're not talking the old three oh three, where it's not actually a three a point three oh three barrel. It's like a point three oh, you know, fourteen barrel. So that bullet's actually got a bit of room in there. <laughs> yeah. Um. So if you're gonna do the if you're going to be diligent and clean your and put oil in your bloody thing, just make sure you get your finger with a bit of it with your, with your t-shirt or something and clean it. Get, get your finger in your chamber and get that out and then also have it pull through or something that's not oily, a dry one and pull that through and then you're good to go and then mm. you won't have any issues but yeah, just be careful with having excess oil in your chamber and your barrel, so
0: I know with lots of guns, semi-autos, shotguns, rifles, like as you said, triggers. I've had um, gunsmith Dean talk to me about don't put too much oil in triggers and bits and pieces. And semi-automatic shotguns is this lots of oil is never a good thing. You know, like like dry barrels and moisture and rust is freaking terrible. But too much oil is never a good thing either. Yeah, that's a, the that's thing. Really and also,
1: like I see guys oiling up their bolts, and they run real slick. But then, when you get a bit of a real windy, shitty day, everything's just going to stick to your to your oily bolt or your greasy bolt. And same with the inside of your barrel. You know, it's just it seems like logic, but it's not. You know, it just becomes a sticky mess with yeah. very very tight tolerances. And a little bit of grit just can cock you right up. And it just becomes real. Look, I've had guys that I've guided that can't even shut their bolt when we've been in the wire wrapper and it's just been shit storming and, you know, you've got that dust that's just killing your eyes and then you go to do the old shoot and it's like... <laughs> and then they can't even get it shut. And, I mean, just from, you know, sometimes dry... Um, and and clean is, is is what you you need. It's gotta be dry. And, and I mean yeah. It seems detrimental, but it's actually Yeah.
0: Well I think that, that finish where you've cleaned it, oiled it, and then wiped the oil off. Yeah. And if you're using a good oil, yeah, it's not actually it's basically dry to the touch. But yep. If, if that, but if the if the you oiled it and then basically wiped all the oil off with a dry rag, there's still there's a there's a light coating of oil, like the good oils, it's it's on there, and that's why it's important to do it regularly because you're not just drenching it <laughs> and drowning in it so it's there to last for a whole your whole 10 day trip. No, you're pulling a pull through every night or keeping an eye on it. And if your ass up in the creek or it pisses down all day, you pull your gun apart mm. and dry it off, and oil it up, and wipe all the oil off again, and put it back together, and it's good as gold. That's a huge part of it, eh? Of that regular cleaning is, is well, because I, I,
1: don't, I don't think a lot of guys really, and it's good in a lot of ways, but they don't get into the inertia of what you've actually got. You've got a you've got a piece of machine. Uh, you've got a tool that's highly, highly spec'd. Like the the bolt lugs going locking into into the um, the breech and your chambering. That stuff's so highly spec'd that you can't have a dirty bullet. Like if you've got a bit of a if you've got um, a little bit of grip stuck to your bullet because you've got oil or something, it won't even go in the chamber. That's how highly spec'd it is. I mean, you've got a piece of machinery there that. That's shooting a bullet at 3,000 feet per second, and yep, it's pretty good. Hill stick, and you can drop it in the river, and you can throw it over the river to your mate. It'll do all that, but at the end of the day, it does need a little bit of love, and it's, and it's no surprise. Like, you wouldn't get in your chopper being a pilot and just go. I'll bugger it, I'll slap some oil in there because I haven't done that for a while and (laughs) and we'll just, she'll be right, jute, and we're off. You know, you just wouldn't do that. But it's the same. It's just a tool that he uses to get to work, just like I use my truck and and just like a gun. Like, it's a pretty high precision piece of um, kit and I don't think as hunters we give it enough credit. I mean, yeah, so... A little bit of love goes a freaking long way, and I mean a little bit of love. I mean, um, cheap making sure your barrel channel's not full of crap because a lot of a lot of the old guns weren't free floated barrels. So they had a fixed stock wrapped around the whole barrel, and it was you know it wasn't free floating at all. It was it was touching the whole way down, and that's how they designed them. And they designed the recoil lugs and all that different back then. So, but nowadays with free-floating barrels, that um, contributes to your accuracy directly. So um, little things like that and uh, the oil thing, so you you pull an oil um, through when you get to the hut at night or just before you have a beer, and then in the morning, you pull a dry one through and you're away. I mean, how long or how much effort does that take? It takes nothing. Those pull throughs are light, so don't give me that lightweight. Oh, it's too heavy bullshit. It's a little bit of love for your two, three, up to seven, eight, up to ten, twelve thousand dollar gun.
0: Yeah,
1: it'll last you a lifetime and your kids' lifetime and their kids' lifetime if you just show it a little bit of love. So,
0: so that uh, that's-
1: and what I, I just touched on
0: i know you go yeah i was just gonna say um like pull it you you, yeah you just touched on uh, that's exactly what i was gonna say the the barrel channel and shit jam between your stock and your barrel and just uh that's another thing i used to do all the time with my 308 was take the um stock off and clean all that shit out and dry everything out properly um I think the reason I was so pedantic with it is because I was living in the bush and it was the only freaking gun I had and it was so important and if it, something happened to it you couldn't just drop it off t- at the gunsmith because I was choppering in and staying there for weeks and weeks at a time but um, that's a biggie eh? just getting the stock off getting all the shit out of that it's amazing how much shit can be can accumulate inside a Tika stock a standard Tika stock um, and the, yeah, so talk a little bit about yeah. that. Like,
1: oh, yeah, I've got a few. Che- I get, I've i been given quite a few guns that used to shoot. Now it doesn't. Don't know what's wrong with it. I've checked this and that, and it used to be mint. And and well, to be fair, any gun that I get given or buy or get made or built, all my custom rifles, the first thing I do is pull them completely apart. I check bedding jobs that gunsmiths have done for me. I check um, barrel. I make sure the barrel channel's wide enough to free float the barrel. Like I'm, I'm, pretty pedantic, but I, I just pull guns apart and I start from scratch. So I'm like, I look at the, you know, action screws. If they're too long, you can't shut the bolt properly, and it's grinding on your bolt. You know, because it's sticking. That's where you front action screw goes. It goes right where your bolt locks into the breech. There's an action screw under there. So if that's too long, it's grinding on your bolt, affecting accuracy. Uh, So basically, um, get yourself one of these. I think everyone should have one. It's called the Fat Wrench, and it's made by Wheeler. And it's basically a torque, well, not basically, it is a torque wrench, and it's built for guns, and uh, i got
0: a Vortex one, i got a Vortex, Sorry? i got a Vortex one. Yeah,
1: Vortex, I don't know, but this is, this one's lasted me for 20 years, and I bought yep. it when I was doing comp shooting, I got told to buy this, and it comes with the bits, and it pretty much universally fits most guns, and, but... The 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 key thing is it's got torque settings. So torque settings for your for your scope rings, for your scope bases, for your action screws, and that's basically all you've got on a on a um, shooter that you need to worry about. So I hear a lot of guys like oh you can't take your gun apart, it won't re zero to the same and this and that and and hey, I've probably taken I don't want to go too many, but it would be at least 200 guns, dead set, over 200 guns apart, Uh, put them back together, probably more like 400, to be honest. I believe you. (laughs) And taking them completely apart when they've been zeroed, put them back together, and the most shift I've ever got out of any of those guns was an inch.
0: Yeah. Oh, oh, do all all that
1: out. was was um, I just fiddled with the screw that went direct. This was a gun that the screw went directly into the recoil lug, so it was semi-important. Yeah, and I just tightened it. It didn't shoot again, and then I loosened it, and then it shot exactly where exactly bulls Was that like, with the so torque torque
0: wrench? Eh? Was that with the torque wrench?
1: No, that was just before. That was just that with was a, ran a it, random. Yeah. I didn't I've, worry
0: about it at all. Dude, I've never had a problem with it, eh? Um,
1: no, and that's what I'm saying. At mm. One inch out of 400 guns... Mm, and you had that once. And that was once. <laughs> yeah. So guys who say, oh, you don't take your gun apart, or, well, hey, look, I've got a bit of experience in... And I'm willing to take the risk. Because yeah. it happened to me once, and it was an inch. Well, like I know it still would have killed an animal.
0: I know what's going to be worse is um, if you've got a big bit of bracken jammed down between your stock and your barrel on your on a yeah. free-floated gun, That that's yeah. definitely going to cause an issue. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so
1: and, and, and I, don't, even, look, I don't want guys carrying around one of these in their every hunt in the bush and all that. I know that's unrealistic, but... What I'm trying to say here is get used to, like, the military do it. They all have to. They pull their guns apart within seconds.
0: Mm.
1: Like, I don't know, their lieutenant's like, pull that gun apart, and then, and, you know, she's all in bits the on the table, and, and then put <laughs> that gun back together. And, I mean, hey, look, their life's on the line when their guns don't shoot.
0: I guess um that, that that's a good uh, point. And, and with guns you want to verify everything you know like if you're if you and that's you one thing familiar
1: with everything too
0: and, and yeah and, and and like that whole running it in and and um firing a shot cleaning it firing a shot see see what that rifle's clean cold bore zero is versus your sort of, you know, with a bit of copper and cut, you know, you've got to work all the stuff out and every gun's different. And then um, t- take your stock off, put your stock back on and shoot it again to see if it's moving. Um, and use a torque wrench at home. I think my one was like a hundred bucks too. I think if you got a $2,000 gun, then, it, then that's a cheap one. Um, if you're talking scope as well I think a $100 torque wrench to maintain it and make sure it's put together properly is almost crucial Um, what I used to do I just had a well one thing was um, I'd just make sure the screw was turning back to the same position every time it was like a flat head screw I guess that's impossible with a star but you can maybe put a mark on it and make sure it's turning back to the same point every time and just having a really good feel of it And also a torque wrench is really good because it gives you the feel for where the right spot is. You actually get a bit of a feel for it. Um, And if you do that a few times um, and take your stock on and off a few times using a torque wrench, you'll get get a pretty good feel for it and verify everything, man. So take your gun apart, put it back together and and shoot it and see where it's landing.
1: The reason I love the torque wrench is I have got the worst – Gorilla mitts for <laughs> any screws that I think, oh, that's not very tight, boom, and it snaps. I shear screw heads off on the rig, yeah, you know, and, I, and my other job, you know, farming, and that, I'm, and I'm exactly like,
0: exactly the same yeah, too. I
1: didn't even, I didn't even get to, like, I wasn't even leaning on, and I, and I do that often, and, and everyone knows me as that gorilla mitt guy. <laughs> so, the torque wrench for me, 23 foot pounds, um of pressure on a night force, um, ultralight ring, to me feels like, oh my God, this scope's going to fall off, you know, like this is just, I'm, I'm (laughs) sweating bullets when I'm going the range thinking 23 foot pounds, not enough, 23 foot pounds, not enough. Well, because that's what they specify, manufacturer specification, Mm. 23 foot pound, has been on my gun for 10 years and hasn't moved a single millimetre ever. Mm. So you can imagine if I didn't have my torque wrench, it would be about 63 foot pound and my scope would be crushed.
0: And that's a really good point too for, for some listeners um, that are newer to hunting and guns and that, is that everything has specification. Mm. Everything has manufacturing specs and it'll be in your handbook or you can Google it and work it out, but all your yeah, action...
1: Yeah, all Google, your action screws. You've got a vortex, Google what your scope ring should be. Mm. you got a Night Force, Google yeah, it. pole they'll all have specifications for the pressure they want on their scopes because you and me both know, I think you've got an example, you can crush your scope and it won't dial because it's crushed. <laughs> and yeah. you're wondering why you can't get your dial up sorted and all this sort of thing. I've,
0: I've had it both ways. I've had it where a scope or a base is too loose, and it's come loose, and it's moving around, and I've had it uh, where it's too tight, and you've broken a screw, or you've crushed <laughs> a scope, so, and hence, a freaking torque wrench,
1: <laughs> yep. it's so important. To go, with your, to go with your torque wrench, uh, highly recommend some Loctite, some thread locker, Yeah, um, and a lot of guys also will say, I don't, I don't bloody touch that stuff, but um, I lock tight and sort of bed uh, all my bases for my scopes. Um, so if it's a if it's a tally lightweight um, two piece, I'll put all this underneath the ring and I'll put this on the screws and I always put it in and I always put it to manufacturer's specifications on how tight with the torque wrench. But this stuff's a game changer and it's so easy to get off. You just need. Um, because we're talking with steel here. So mm. I've just got a little blowtorch that I light up. And if I want to get my base off, I just quickly psh, heat it up for minimal time. And mm. all the screws just peel out. Piece of piss. Yep.
0: That's a, but uh, really,
1: yeah, I haven't had a scope base come loose since I've used this. And I've used it on a lot of other guys' guns too. And I've never had a bad. W- w-
0: when you say a blowtorch, you're not talking like big gas bottles and shit. You're talking one of those little clicker.
1: Yeah, handheld just sort of. A little banger. Just, yeah. Yeah, little banger. Almost it, like a, big, almost it a takes big lighter. big heat, I think it even says on the back um, 200, 200 degrees or something, which is not hot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's not going to melt any steel. But it just comes straight off. I mean it's just quick and and because you've only got it at manufacture uh, manufacturers specifications I think scope um, bases are like 40 something most bases yeah, or something, because right. they are quite the bigger screw and so that's you know that's a tip definitely put that on your scope mm-hmm. mounts because I oh, made I have had instances where I've tied in my scope mounts and and I've lost accuracy, and said to myself, it ain't going to be the scope mount because I put that on. And after pissing around with everything else, I've taken my rings off the mount and checked them out, and there's loose screws.
0: Dude, I've had, I've had a couple of freaking mares mm. with loose rings and mounts that yep. that I haven't worked out for ages, and yeah. and and you've
1: what, gone through everything.
0: do one was with someone else's gun um, that I was borrowing, and for a work thing, and I and uh, it was made worse by swapping ammo and giving it, getting supplied ammo for work. So then you'd you'd be using a different kind of ammo, so you'd be right. all over the place. And think, oh man, it must be this different ammo shooting off, and then I'd sight it in, and then start shooting and it'd be okay and then I'd miss something and I'd think, no, that, I wasn't bloody that far off on that and then I'd check the gun and then it'd be off and I was and I was, it was all over the freaking place and I finally worked it out and I and I checked all my screws and bases one night. This is after eight, it was my fault for not mm. check. this should be the first thing, one of the first things you check if not yeah. the, the very first thing when you have accuracy problems with the setup check all of your, your screws and bases and rings and everything. Um, and,
1: and not like well, I think the other two most common things I see is barrel channel uh, full of um, crap, which is very easy to do. I mean, you go on one hunt in the bush or climbing through monkey scrub, it's inevitable there's going to be shit in your barrel channel. Mm. Uh, so you need to flick that out. If you're in the middle of a hunt or do something, just check it. And the second one would be scope bases and rings. Like, that will be my two main things that affect accuracy. And quite seriously, I've had guys go down reload developments and just <laughs> big holes. Yeah. And then found that out, and it's like, wow. Well, yeah. I
0: know a, I know a guy that bought a, um, a Sarko cheap. And because the got the previous owner couldn't get it to shoot, mm. and so he sold it. And he put good being a good bugger put on the ad. He's like, I don't know what's up with this gun. I can't get it to shoot. Um, I can't get it to shoot any better than about two or three inches at a hundred yards. Mm. And this guy was sort of new to hunting, and he was only going to do bush stalking. Uh, and he was he thought, well, three inches at a hundred yards. I'm shooting deer in the bush in the shoulder, so I'll buy it. And he bought it, and um can't remember what it was, he, he took it to a gun shop or something, or he pulled it apart, and with the little that he knew about guns, he was like, oh, there's a bit of a hole there, it looks like something's meant to be in there, it had no recoil lug in it. You know, <coughs> some some rifles have, have a floating recoil lug. Do, is there a yeah. sar- one of the more modern, cheaper sarcos that have a lug that just, like, almost sits in there? It can yeah, come out? sarcos
1: have a weird thing, they sort of sit in a, like, a crevice hole, and it can come um, out, right?
0: Like it's just in there.
1: Yeah, there potentially. I'm just trying to think. There is one. Yes. Yeah. There's one. Yeah, there is one. I'm, sure, actually, I'm, that, I'm pretty sure this got got was a
0: Sarko. and it yeah, was and
1: he, like There is a Sarko that's got a. It's a little piece of steel, and you slot it into the stock, and it slots into the receiver, mm-hmm. and it's not connected. Yeah, no, there and is he, actually. Any, any order, new one,
0: for like thirty bucks. Yeah. and put, put it back together and, and it was shooting like under an inch at 100 yards. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So, you know, I haven't really touched on what I use to clean, but it's basically, uh, it's a solvent. Uh, it's that solvent, if anyone wants to know. It's, tactical uh, wipeout.
0: advantage.
1: Wipeout. Wipeout's a pretty good product and a lot of competition shooters use it, so it's Wipeout Tactical Advantage. Uh It's a solvent, and that that one there is, oh, it says um, eight ounces, but I don't know. It would be 500 mil.
0: So is that going to remove all of your copper and carbon and everything? This
1: this is the one-stop shop, and I leave that to soak. So this will do three things. It says it does three things. You can can do, when you're doing your barrel break-in, or whenever you're shooting, actually, you can just run it, like when you're shooting you know, gongs or whatever, you, you run a, you run one of these down, a patch of this down there and leave it until you want to shoot again. And then you clean that out with dry patches and then you shoot and it'll make cleaning easier. Say so you're at a match and you shoot. You shoot a round and it's 30 rounds, you know, and then you put this down, leave it to soak, and then whip, whip your dry patch through and then carry on with your round. So the, for the weekend you shoot 100 rounds. By the end of the, you know, the weekend, this will your barrel will clean a lot better because I've been doing that. But basically, I put that down it with this accelerator stuff, and I just I'll do that when I get home. What's the uh, accelerator? It basically just foams. It's, it's it's like a activator sort of thing. Activator that'll clean it quicker. Okay. You know, so I can do. I could. Is that the if same I had brand? Absolute near, and my barrel had coppered right up, and my lost accuracy mid-match. Mm. I'd just crank these two, and and nylon brush, wet patch. Leave it soak for five minutes, then do that again. And you scrub it and it out and it with a look, nylon brush. Within about twenty minutes, I could get a like an eighty-round, um, non-clean barrel spotless again. You know. Basically, I will leave that in overnight a solvent, and make sure you get a, a good solvent that you can leave in. Like um, like sweets, probably not a good idea to leave that in. That that's got ammonia in it. Anything with ammonia in it will eat will eat steel. Uh, and if you leave that overnight, she's look gnarly. out.
0: It's gnarly. Eh?
1: Yeah. So make sure you get a product that you can leave in overnight. Because I tell you what, mate, yeah. it makes it so easy. You you put that in. Twenty-four hours later, what brand? You come is that,
0: what's that accelerator? Just for people listening,
1: uh, it's the same stuff. It's wipeout product. So it says, "Use this product only with technical advantage, wipeout or patch out." Okay, so
0: it's cleaner. So it's it's wipeout accelerator.
1: Accelerator. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Got it. And and, and the um, other one's wipeout technical advantage. Okay. Got it. And they are pretty top end. Like well, they are, you know, that's a competition uh, solvent. But that's basically what I use. And then if I, like I say, you've got to, this, this, so that that would do you. If you left it for 24 hours, I pretty much guarantee it would get your copper, your carbon, and your, and your powder out. And if it doesn't, the only way you're going to know is if you've got a bore scope, or you run a patch through again and it comes out blue, which is what we talked about at the start, that's copper. Or it comes out brown, that's carbon, but carbon's not as stubborn as copper, so um, it'll probably be blue. And if that does happen, then I'll go back to my ball polish. KG 2 ball polish? Yeah. or the JB's ball polish compound, so it's a ball cleaning compound. I'll actually do 10, put that on a patch and I'll do 10 10, um, strokes with that. Then I'll run the solvent through, leave it for five minutes and clean that out. And that's normally enough to get that stubborn copper off. Um, But with my hunting rifles, I don't. I'll only clean back to bare bore every 100 rounds because I actually like the copper in there because what will happen when you shoot it, when you break in a barrel, it'll take about 60 rounds before that barrel's at its, before it's reached its velocity. So it'll get faster and faster. Like a new barrel will shoot a little bit slower. Then when you get to about 70 rounds, it's normally like, yeah, I'm talking it can get up to, it's normally 50 feet per second at minimum faster. Mm, it's quite a bit, hey. So it is quite a bit, and that's just because it's worn in, it's loose, you know, it's just, they just smart. wear in. Yeah. But if you're doing a ballistic BDC turret, say a Soroski one, and you shoot what, five rounds over a chrono when you first get your gun and then you send that off to the gun shop and they send you the BDC turret, after eighty rounds, you're going to be out. I could pretty much guarantee. I will put my life on that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not enough. Like fifty feet per second is probably enough. Out at about eight hundred or six or six hundred. Getting
0: there, eh? Yeah, it is.
1: You know, yeah. it'll cock you up. Yeah. So that's another reason to get used to your gun, shoot it because it won't be hitting its peak velocity until there. So if you do all your, so if you do your load development under seventy rounds. Then you've done your, say, you've done your load, uh, your muzzle velocity with a chronograph at 20 rounds. You potentially could be wrong, you know, very shortly down the track. Mm. So.
0: What about getting a few boxes, uh, three or four boxes of cheaper ammo?
1: Yep, great idea. And just Great idea, because. I firmly believe in the barrel breaking, and I'll never change because I've had um, experiences where where it does matter. So, man, there's nothing yeah, look, like
0: there's nothing like rounds downrange. Like I think me and you are both pretty lucky in that. I had thousand literally thousands of rounds downrange by the time I was about bloody fourteen, or probably by the time I was ten. But by the time I was fourteen or fifteen, I had probably had tens of thousands of rounds downrange. Uh but, man, if you're starting out, like, and I've seen it, man. I've seen guys that they've been hunting, they've, they've been out trying to shoot deer, and then we're out sighting guns in or something, and they want to shot with your gun. And they're trying to lay down behind it. And I've, you, I've just been laying down behind it, shooting a gong at 600 yards or whatever, or a one-inch group at 100 and they're pissing around for four minutes, just trying to get lined. They can't even see through the scope. They can't get lined up and get the eye box right.
1: Um, yeah, and that's not a that's not a um, uncommon thing. That's yeah. very common. Like I've uh, you know, I've taken guys out hunting, guiding, and same thing that they're actually just getting trying to see the animal and get the sight picture through the scope, and I'm going. Shit, we're in a bit of trouble here because that thing's 200 meters away, and old mate can't even get his sight picture sorted. Can't get the eye <laughs> How box. How the on? hell is
0: he going to hold that thing steady? Yeah, so, so, and, and, and a different, and not just laying down either, like, um, um, you know, bloody just Mix
1: up your shooting positions.
0: Do some stand up stuff, do some walking around near like all that sort of stuff. So what I'm trying to say is is like a few rounds down range, and even if it's just some cheap ammo that you're just letting rip, um, and then you and then you're gonna get your precision hunter or do some hand loading and, and get your B D C BDC turret and all that sort of stuff. Um yeah, it's it's always a good oh, thing, eh?
1: Mate, lately the probably the last five or ten years, I've probably been building two or three custom guns a year, full custom builds, and every one of them I get in behind, I shoot it, and they're different. You know, I shoot it, it's different trigger. Now, these are for other you know, guys, so I've got, um, you know, one will have a carbon barrel and, and a chimney trigger. And I get them behind, you know, different shapes. There's so many different shaped stocks out there. I mean, you've got the flat pistol grip ones, you know, the McMillans, and and then you've got the, you know, the sleeker Hunter style ones like the NZ Hunter guys use. So they all feel different. Mm. And, it, and I shoot them all and I do all the load development. And I've got, like you say, a fair few rounds down thing in, you know, in my 38 years. And it takes me a bit to get used to all those guns, different trigger weights, different, you know. So when you buy a new gun, I've had that much experience and I still like to shoot at least 10 or 20 rounds just to get the groove of how that gun reacts and actually how I'm going to shoot because I change my shooting styles for different setups. Like, for instance, your 7 mil Remag is just, it's just a brick it just sits there it's got a flat base stock i mean it's got a nice handle it's got a heavy scope it's suppressed it, yeah recalls nicely
0: it's cheating it's <laughs> yeah, such a not good a gun.
1: gun to shoot <laughs> yeah. but then i've of shot 338 um actually improves but of the same way as your 7 mil rim or probably lighter and th- they react, as you can imagine. Like, there's a fair bit going on there. <laughs> um, so I like to shoot them for 10, 20 rounds to get to know how I'm going to shoot that gun. Um, so if you're buying a new gun or you've just bought one off-trading, me you're buying your mates, you know, at the least you want to take it to the range and shoot five or ten rounds. Oh,
0: minimum, man. And, and yeah. even... Um you know, with with the amount of experience I've got and, and I'll, I haven't got any new guns at the moment well, other than a cheap shotgun I just got but um, pretty familiar with both of my guns. Man, even when everything's locked and loaded, you know, sorted, um, both my guns, all my load development's done, all my um, data's in my phone and on drop charts and I've got it all freaking sorted. If I've said this before on the podcast, if I haven't, being out somewhere and and set up some gongs and put a good 8, 10, 12, 20 rounds through both guns, in a few months I, I start getting a bit fidgety, you know. and and, uh, and Or I just I just know I've got to do it, man, and verify everything and just for myself and familiarity and trigger and all that sort of stuff. Because um, that's, that's a big one too, like trigger control and knowing right where that oh, trigger's going to break.
1: You. And just another thing... Uh Just about accuracy. Sight your gun in. How you going to hunt with it? So no point sighting it off the bench at your local range, Mm. sitting there like boom, boom, bang on at two hundred, and then putting a bipod on it, and then putting your hand on top of the scope with the bipod and shoot. It won't. Pretty much, I can guarantee it won't have the same point of impact. So Mm. that's just. That's a little one. Verify, but, um, it
0: verify, make a verify the hell out of everything, and verify it all, mm. and then go back and verify it again. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, uh, bore guide.
1: Yep, got one here. So cheap. All it is a cheap little bit of plastic. Um, basically, what it does. Is what we talked about, you know, with the, so you don't want solvent, uh, oil, or especially this um, bore cleaner stuff in your trigger or your or your uh, chamber. Mm. So that there goes right up to the lands. It's a piece of plastic and it goes, uh, you can buy them very, very cheap uh, from Huntfish or uh, wherever you buy your cleaning stuff. Um, they are sort of caliber specific but this will do so anything from 308 down I don't have anything other bigger than that other than my three three eights or am my 416 so they've got their own ones I've got you can one make that's- these too like um, you can make this out of a piece of plastic you know sort of dowel that's hollow you know you just make but um. I've got very, one that's very good. Huh? I've got
0: one that's adjustable. It's got a little, yeah. so it, it's made for bolt actions, and yeah. it it's got a little lever that drops down where your bolt goes yeah. in, so you sort of lock it in, and that bit's adjustable back and forward for different length actions, and then yeah. it's got the little nozzle bit. It's got different bits of that that you screw on mm. the end um, for different size. You know, so yeah. it does from like small like triple twos and stuff right up to really big, and it's just yeah. a it's just a guide. So instead of, I think it's also good for you know great for catching all your oil and stuff, mm. um, and that's actually got a bit. You can feed your brush down, and then it's got a little opening on top, so mm. you can actually pour your oil on the brush with it in the thing, and then slide it down. Um, but it also stops you like bloody flogging and flailing around and and banging into the your lands in the beginning of your barrel all off axis. You know, when I've got my, my um, rifle in that, that gun vise, it's it's sitting on that plastic thing, and um, I've got the bore guide in, that, and I've got a good, nice, good rod too. That's when I can really get the nylon brush in there and scrub backwards and forwards, and I'm not getting all on the piss, and my rod's not slapping side to side and hooking up on the way in in that.
1: Mm. yeah. Yep, that's basically a ball guide, mm. and uh, I good bit of kit. Didn't use them for a number of years, but very, very good. And I've since learnt a lot of stuff, and you know, oil and and um, solvent in your trigger or your or your chamber, not good. Mm. And like you say, miss access, no banging your bloody cleaning rod into your into your lands at the start not good so and
0: because your your the your throat and your lands like the beginning of your right the very beginning of your rifling and then at the other end your um your muzzle your crown the crown is it's very important like the entry Mm -hmm. and and that the crown the exit is very very important because that's the last thing your bullet's touching so if you don't like and that's a it's quite easy to do too, like um as far as pulling a pull through through, especially with suppressors um that, you know, create more carbon and crap on, on the end of your on your crown, uh, mm-hmm. at the muzzle end. Um you actually get quite a bit of black build up there, eh?
1: Oh yeah. And it's hard to get off without solvent. Like
0: it's it, it is, yeah. And and yeah. and it's it can be easy too, especially for the old quick pull through back at camp. To leave that carbon on on your muzzle end dry, Um, whereas if you use Croil is quite good for that. Like you say, it actually bites in and pulls a bit of shit Mm. off. But Mm. if you if you do it regularly and keep it oiled, then the shit comes off easier next time too. But um, I'm always bloody you know pull a pull through through, or I'm always keeping oil on my thread and on my muzzle um, in storage. You know. Yeah,
1: just quickly on that, don't leave your suppressor on mm-hmm. when you're storing it. Uh, take your suppressor off at the end of your hunt. It's probably all right to leave on there for your hunt. Um, yeah, if, you know, multiple day hunt. Sorry, but what <laughs> I've seen it, and what happens is, um, guys have you know suppressors haven't been around that long. Probably last fifteen years, 10, 15 years. So guys were leaving them on, and like you say, all the gases and all the shit goes into the suppressor, and your crown, which is your last piece of rifling that touches the bullet before it goes into the atmosphere, obviously needs to be in tip-top order. And what was happening, guys were leaving their suppressors on, storing them all the carbon and all the shit sitting on your crown, and it was actually, um, you know, rusting and and eating away the carb and everything was eating away at your crown and you you lose accuracy and and i've actually seen muzzle uh suppressors that you can't even get off (laughs) because are that corroded on
0: yeah i've seen the whole i've seen the whole crown pitted on a rifle that, that,
1: that and so just don't store your suppressor on there for a length of time like that just sweet, but
0: yeah. I'll, I'll often, if, especially if it's been a humid day or a bit of a damp day or whatever. Um, I'll even back at camp overnight. I'll pull my suppressor off, um, pull a pull through through, and then just the rifles on the top bunk or in the corner with the suppressor off it, even overnight. Um, man, a suppressor's just a massive carbon trap, eh? And carbon, oh,
1: it's basically, just yeah, it's a it's a home for moisture and shit yeah. and you don't want to clean with your suppressor on there too because when you run anything down your barrel it, it, you know suppressors aren't the baffles are wide open so if you run a you know patch or any if you get a patch in there your suppressor's fucked because you don't want to shoot with have patch, patch. Around there. so you don't want anything in that suppressor a
0: couple of interesting notes actually that are coming to mind is one is that uh brand new clean suppressor doesn't suppress as well as a seasoned suppressor with a bit of build-up in there. Um, another note too is uh, it's surprising how much shit you can get in a suppressor and, you know, you can get a massive build-up of carbon and unburnt powder and crap like that, half-burnt powder. You can also get sticks and leaves and dust and bullshit in there and, um, This is something I picked up from the goat colours is uh, one guy that was particularly in, you know, pretty sharp on his maintenance and cleaning and (coughs) that. Um, Every couple of, two or three trips, um, he'd boil the jug and um, just tip a heap of boiling water through a suppressor and just flush it all out to get the, um, because you don't, you definitely don't want to go pumping a ton of oil into them. Um, But uh, yeah, he'd run hot water through it And rinse it out Flush it all out And um, Then sit it out in the sun Or by the fire And make sure it gets bone dry again I think that's not a crazy idea either Um,
1: Uh, Pretty good idea for Like you say Culling when you're in the bush Flat out And you're not You know You're shooting so many animals You don't want tape over the end And you don't want to keep putting it over Like you might do 25, 30 goats in a day On a normal day You can't be so you're going to get shit in there, effectively, aren't you? So yeah, and it's more oh, down, yeah.
0: it's more rounds downrange and more time. It, yeah, it's just, you're just you're just doing things like that. You just run into problems more often and faster than than a lot of recreational hunters will. But yeah, I think mm. just if, it's not a crazy idea to and also even just drying your suppressor out or if it's been wet or raining um, is yeah boiling water through it. Um, occasionally, and um, and dry it out. And I even just like have a like occasionally lock down my suppressor or run a mm. brush through it. Um, run run my same brush through it, and and just just be a little bit aware of how much shit can build up in those things. Mm. Just be a big shit trap. Um, having said that, I won't. I, I don't use a gun without one. Mm. <clears throat> um. Yeah what about scopes and cleaning that's another note too actually the same guy um, brought this to my attention about um, being actually being fairly freaking careful about solvents and oils getting on your scopes Um, not only on the lenses but even some of the seals in your scope Um, you want to be a little bit careful getting gun oil and shit all over your scope
1: Yeah I don't muck around with my scopes. I, I, uh, if I was going to clean my scope at all, I wouldn't touch the lenses with anything other than a lens cloth. Like, I'm not one a guy that'll get my shirt and, you know, like I just... I am. I, I've got lens cloths. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: well... I'm rough, but...
1: I used to be, but when I've got $5,000 optics on most of my guns, yeah. I've just learned that once that thing's scratched... You get no resale for it. Uh, yeah, it's nah, just it's, a it's, big it's, and it's, like a lens cloth nowadays. You can buy them from anywhere. I've like got the freaking things
0: everywhere because every time you buy a scope or some binos yep. or a range finder, you get one with it. But
1: yeah, um, so so I've got lens cloths like literally when I'm hunting, you'll see one on my binos, you'll see another one in my somewhere. I've got them everywhere, and mm. when when they're wet. I just give it a, blow all the shit out, you know, all the scrub, and, and then I just maybe, my scopes are pretty good scope, so they don't hold rain or, and you just give them a good blow and then let them thing, so, mm. but yeah, I wouldn't go near a scope with um, any solvents or it's oil. It's just something
0: to be aware of, eh, and if, yeah. if you're wiping, if you've got oily hands and um, an oily rag and you know it's it's. I've seen and I've no. done it in the past where yeah. I've got an oily yeah. rag and I'm oh, oil my gun and I'm just like oiling the whole freaking thing, it's getting all over the scope and everywhere yeah. and it just, can it can even be a cause of like ru- ruining a seal or something in a scope and, and having a, a scope fog up and stuff too
1: so yeah, just be aware too with, so the lens thing for me is big time so just be aware, it's like pitting your barrel, once it's rough Mm. you're only going backwards you're never going to change that Mm. once you scratch that lens because you were in a rush to clean the bloody thing with your with your bloody whatever t-shirt you got on it's once it's scratched it's it's done like you you can probably send it away and get them to re-lens it or whatever but it'll cost you an absolute arm and a leg and it's Mm. not covered under warranty it's
0: absolute mongrel of me um, to be wiping like a
1: night force with a t shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, you probably get away with it. I'm always bloody One buddy. time you won't. You'll go like that and you've got fine particles. Yeah. And there's, there's also, you might not scratch the glass, but there's actually um, really good coatings on lenses. Oh, but And you'll time. scratch that and it just looks like a dog's breakfast. And honestly, flog your missus. Sunglass lens, bloody cleaner, and just be done with it. And blow all the shit out. Be Mm. real careful because, honestly, it's such an investment. Mm. You don't want to go cocking with it. So just don't go near scopes. Mm. And you can buy proper scope cleaners. They've got a little, um, they're like a pen, and they've got a little, you poke out a brush on one end, and you blow, and then you brush, and then the other end's got like a proper lens cleaning thing on it. And um, and you can buy lens cleaning wet cloths. Yeah. Um, sunglass stores, best place to get them. And all that shit is designed for that. So, and, like, honestly, like I say, I've got 5,000 little scopes, like nightfall scopes, and I just don't – yeah, I just, I'm just real careful. Yeah. <laughs> um, and with brushes, I was going to say before when I was cleaning – a lot of guys will be like, don't use, nil- uh, sorry, brass, brushes, you know, don't use copper brushes and that um, on barrels, and you got to use nylon, or don't use nylon, it does fucking nothing, and quite seriously, with a good solvent, the brush is just there to loosen things up, and no brass or nylon brush is going to damage your barrel no matter how many times. You whack it down. It's going to be your cleaning rod that will damage it if it's too hard. Um, So I get the Teflon coated cleaning rods. I don't have stainless ones anymore just because they are quite, they could be, they probably wouldn't actually, because I guarantee they don't make a cleaning rod that's harder than 416 stainless. But any nylon, bronze brush, they're not going to cock your barrel up like, you're running a bullet down there at three thousand feet per second that's covered in copper, and that's not cocking your barrel up. So mm. <laughs> stainless is pretty hard. It's not as hard as chrome moly, um, but you're not going to wear your barrel out by cleaning it with nylon or or what are they? Are they copper or brass or what are those? Um, the brass aren't they? It
0: might be both. It might be both. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, Copper brush, copper brushes really ring a bell for me. But yeah, I've got yeah. Um, nylon ones, and I yeah. find them nicer to use. They just they scrub backwards and forwards
1: easier. And like yeah, you say, and the nylon, to be fair, if you've got the good solvent, mm. it's just there to break up the particle, and then your patching's doing all the work anyway. And this, mm. you know, your solvents will do all the work, so it's not a. And they're also quite good to wrap a patch around, so it's really tight. Because obviously your brush is um, the right, perfect circumference for your bore. And you wrap a patch around that and and whip that down there. And that's a really good way of getting good coverage on your patch. Mm. But yeah, there's old wives' tales that guys will say, Well, don't ever use a bloody brass brush down your thing. But hey, if you actually think of the the nitty gritty, um, nothing that you put down your barrel... Well, most things that are designed for cleaning guns ain't as hard as your barrel. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think a good, a good quality cleaning rod is a, is, a, is a good idea if you can versus, yep. you know, the old four-piece screw yeah. together with that could have a little sharp edges on it and stuff. But like you say, then the rifle barrel is so freaking hard anyway, your cleaning rod's probably mm-hmm. not – well, it isn't. It's not going to be harder than your barrel. Yeah. What's the go with um, chrome molly versus stainless
1: um, yeah, so that's a good point because a lot of guys think because they've got the stainless barrel that it's bomb-proof and it's weatherproof and, uh, you know, and the chrome Molly oh, that'll rust. And, and, well, so the fact, <laughs> the fact of the matter is <clears throat> stainless will rust very quickly too. Like within a week, uh, I, I could – oh, I live by the sea and uh, if I left my stainless gun out on my front drive – it'd be rusty by tomorrow. I mean, they just they get surface rust just like any other metal. Mm. Um, well, you look, yeah. You know, so don't just because you've got a stainless think it's bomb-proof, but um, in reality, chrome molly's harder than stainless. Chrome molly's actually a freaking good... You can get some freaking good shooting chrome molly barrels. Uh, so don't just think that stainless is... Um, More accurate too because um, it ain't, it can be, but it isn't as a rule. Um, Chrome Molly can create some exceptional barrels and did for many a year before they (laughs) invented anything stainless. So, so is uh, Chrome
0: Molly just basically your old school standard blued barrel?
1: Yes, yep, 100%. Okay, yep, yep. Yep, that's what they all were once Mm. once upon a time. Mm. Um, But then they, you know, sold us on stainless thing and it's softer. It's normally 416 stainless, I think, uh, most barrels. And, yeah, they're pretty good, but they're not bomb-proofs and uh, they will rust inside. So don't just think you've got a stainless with a synthetic and you just take it to Stewart Island and treat it like shit. And get it wet in the bush, and then just chuck it in the hut by the fire, and she'll be all she'll be all good. Because mm. um, you're gonna get you to get a rude awakening if that's what you're thinking. And, so. it,
0: and it doesn't have to rain <coughs> or fall in a creek to have moisture inside your barrel either. Like New Zealand's a bloody damp place. Oh and, yeah. Um, and well, know,
1: for instance, we've got dewy mornings, freezing cold. Mm. Then in the middle of the day, it's about Twenty-eight degrees. Then again, at night it cools off. So then you've got such a massive temperature change. You're going con- to even just
0: condensation and stuff. Like I had exactly. and
1: like we said, um, unless it's a clean, clean bore, whatever's in that barrel creates uh, you know, absorbs moisture mm. and. Yeah, as well.
0: So even just cold steel is going to condensate. Like I had my yep. rifle under the under the vestibule of the tent on this last trip, mm. and I'm, I bloody woke up in the morning. The whole thing was just soaked. Like it just had yeah. like a layer of condensation on it. And yeah. there's there's uh, there's no re- there was no reason for me to believe that some of that wasn't on the inside too. You know, it wasn't yeah. out in the dew. It was under the vestibule. But just something about the cold steel had just attracted. Moisture
1: overnight. Mm. Yeah, and uh, chrome molly will rust. Um, probably a little bit. You'll notice rust on it a lot, a bit faster than stainless. Uh, mm. It is, and it is, and is rust resistant as um, stainless. But it, yeah, there's nothing wrong with a good chrome molly, and if you look after it, they uh, as we everyone knows, those old guns are friggin good guns.
0: Oh, dude! Like, yeah, like. And, and yeah, I mean, um, the Sarko is, is a, and it still is to this day, is a classic mm. um, colors gun. And, yeah. you know, even for the goat work, a lot of guys use Sarko's and, and have mm. wood blue Sarko's that are still tack drivers because they've freaking looked after them. Yeah. And um, and if you don't look after a stainless barrel, it's, it'll turn to shit too, you know? So, mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Mm.
0: You're all right, man. That's probably us.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm just trying to think if we haven't sort of
0: we've covered most of it pretty good here, I think. Um, touched on yeah. most of it. So,
1: just what I'd like, because you get there's there's a lot of wives tales around, eh, and it's it's. I'm a, I'm a I'm a doer, and I'll see for myself and I think you're the same like, mm, I don't buy into anything until I've done it and like I'll listen oh yeah, I oh, don't know, whatever but I'll go and do it and then then I'll make my decision so I do that with pretty much everything so <clears throat> um, over cleaning for me not really a thing but there is such thing as like you said cleaning your Cleaning your barrel so well that yeah, you know, it won't. It takes two or three shots to settle back in. Mm. So just be aware of that. It's not a bad thing, but it's something you got to be aware of. Um, the nylon brush versus um, brass brush or whatever—that's that's, that's horseshit for me. Uh, the not breaking in—it's bullshit. You don't need to break it in. Uh, I feel like that's just um, physics. You've got a piece of steel that's been machined, and uh, a lot of high-end custom barrels will be lapped by hand by a guy. Great. Probably no, don't need to break that. Dude, my Sorry. take
0: on breaking in is you've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. You know, exactly. so so why so do not do
1: it? Exactly, because you're going to put those twenty rounds through that gun eventually, anyway. Mm. All you're doing is taking a bit more time and cleaning in between. And also, what breaking in does is helps with your copper fouling in the future. So if you just go bang, 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 15 rounds while you're siding your rifle and all that copper in your barrel, and then try and clean it and it's a brand new barrel, you're in for a, and you've got a, and you've got a gunsmith that's got a bore scope. You're in for a long road, son. It will take some scrubbing. So, because I guess like if you've
0: got a a, a brand new barrel that's not mm-hmm. rubbed in, it's not run in and polished at all, and you just shoot fifteen shots over it, you're going to lay that copper in there, and now you're just shooting over the copper. Whereas if you fire one shot, clean the copper out, now you're shooting over that that clean barrel you're shooting over the steel of the barrel again. And then you yeah. pull the copper out and you're shooting over the steel of the barrel again.
1: Yeah. Vers- so what eventually happens is it just as you run your gun in, you get less and less copper mm. getting stuck on all these ragged edges, mm. and then you've got a nice smooth um, thing that's basically there's so many things to barrel break in that just makes sense to me so and I
0: think that can happen at the other end too and I, I think that's what happened with my 308 when i when I slack slackened off a little bit on my maintenance is it that barrel deteriorated a little bit and had because pitting can be like we're not talking about uh when you look down at it, it's rusty and got holes in it and stuff you need a, uh, a bore scope to see o'clock. it and and you know you're talking about almost damn near microscopic stuff, and uh, just a, a slight change in the condition of the surface of the steel, mm. and uh, I feel mm. like that barrel started copper fouling worse.
1: Yeah, will do because it, what it is is imperfections, three thousand melting, three thousand feet per second melting uh, copper going over an imperfection. So it's like that. Du-du-du-dude. Yeah, it's, pull, it's,
0: it's pulling the the copper off faster.
1: Yeah, because the bullet's hitting there and going, and copper's soft, like copper's so soft. Mm. So it's going to hit that imperfection and build up and build up and build up and build up. Um, it's, it's actually a no-brainer. Like it, you just don't run steel.
0: <laughs> it is, really.
1: You wouldn't run anything else steel. Harsh as you do with a with a rifle and a bullet, without taking any steps to try and make it smoother, you don't you don't make a beautiful wooden coffee table and just leave it rough sawn. You sand it to the best of your ability because it's smoother to do everything on. Like you you, you can wipe it easier because it's smooth. You can uh, it's nicer to. Play with, you know, like it's nicer to have glasses on or whatever because it's smooth. So you don't just, you wouldn't do it with anything else. I don't know why guys just treat their barrels like it's a machine piece of steel. And unless it's been hand lapped, it's it's always going to be a machine piece of steel. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, you uh, can't
1: get a CNC machine inside the barrel, can you? So it's not that exact either, you know.
0: Yeah, no, nah, it, it only makes sense to me.
1: Yeah, like even when you're drilling out a gudgeon hole on a post, you, 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 you do it prop. you know, you go in a little bit and you pull all that shit out because it just makes it easier to put your gudgeon in, you know?
0: 100%.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, man. Um, we're well...
1: Top it, but yeah. I reckon forget about all the wives' tales you've heard. Um. You don't
0: have to listen to me either, but find out for yourself. 100%. These are only ideas, man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I come from experience, so I've had the hard ways. Yeah,
0: 100%. Same myself. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I've, like I said, um, I think I said it last time, uh, I have done it both ways as far as breaking barrels in and Looking after them really well, and then and then not taking as much care, and and I have uh, reaped the pros and cons of both, <laughs> and I'm not biased in any way either, or attached to any idea. I'm just I'm only really interested in in uh, what has happened through experience.
1: Exactly, and to be honest. I wouldn't be breaking barrels in because I do that many guns a year, and it's an absolute ball Like, I wouldn't be doing it if it didn't work.
0: <laughs> All right, man, let's wrap it up. Um, I don't know exactly what we're into next time, but we've got a few, we've got loads of different uh, stuff, loads of different ideas. Uh, maybe yeah, and
1: like like everything. If you've got like I pretty much sort of just touched on barrel cleaning, but if you've got any questions, just fire them through. Uh, and also YouTube, you get a reputable um, gun guy on there and they'll they'll teach you, they'll show you everything. Um, and, and I think barrel cleaning's changed too with the long range uh, era. I mean, it's a bit more, there's a bit more in it now because you're not just shooting two, 300 yards, you're shooting a lot further. So, you know, it all sort of, Matters,
0: man. It is one of those things. There's a lot of different theories on a day, eh? mm. yeah. But the, yeah, um, cool, man. That's us. Let's wrap it up. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye, bye. See you later, man. Yep.
1: Cheers, man.